Welcome to the All About Alts podcast, where we explore the world of alternative investing to help you find financial independence. Join our host, Newview Trust's president, Jason DeBono, as he covers a variety of topics with different guest speakers to discuss tax and alternative investing strategies. It is never too late to start taking control of your financial future, and we are so excited for you to be joining us for this opportunity to hear from some of the best in the business. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the All About Alts podcast. I am your host, Jason DeBono, joined by a good friend and business consultant, Gary Harper. How are you, man? Good, Jason. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, happy uh, happy to have you and, and catch up. Uh, for those uh, that, that maybe don't know who Gary is, we'll, we'll get to that. But, but Gary uh, has just a super cool background. I've been really fortunate over the last couple of years to get to know him and his wife, Susan, uh, and then their business, Sharper Business Solutions, which also... Uh, does some consulting work for us. Um, we'll talk about that here at Newview and, and how they've helped transform uh, our business processes. But uh, Gary's one of the unique people that you'll meet that can school you in business uh, and give you all kinds of insight, uh, but also has a, a side gig, former career, current career uh, as a real estate investor. So he kind of ties everything together. So let, let's start there, Gary. Okay. You know, let, let's go back to the, the beginning um, you know, you're, you've been in corporate America, you've been a full-time real estate investor. You're now a business coach and real estate investor. Pick your poison. Which one do you want to start with? Well, I mean, I think it all starts with, with real estate for me, because that's the crux of it all. That's where I really found, um, I always called real estate, my thing to get me to my thing. And I think we all have our purpose. So chasing after that one thing that we're wanting to have in life and real estate is great vehicle. To helping you achieve that and so real estate was something that my brother-in-law wayne schaefer actually introduced me to um investing in general was he introduced me to at a young age he uh i was about 12 years old actually when he first started talking to me about real estate and just investing in general you know he, he actually gave me some baseball cards and was like hey you know understand these things understand the value of assets and having assets that have value and uh and so he he attached uh, investing and having assets to something I loved, right? So I love baseball and love collecting things. And, and so he attached it to that. And as I got older, you know, he, he started introducing me into the, the real estate realm. And, uh, in the nineties, he was, he was buying and holding real estate. And, uh, you know, he started to tell me about it and I became more and more intrigued. And as I entered my life of adulthood and, and, uh, and moved from North, you know, really, the uh, northeast area of the country now to the uh, the, the Midwest, um, I uh, I started to find myself gravitating more and more towards real estate investing. And so Wayne had me actually living in houses of his rentals and and uh, we were, uh, you know, it was a way to get free rent. And actually during the day, I would work on the houses and fix them up for him as a way to compensate uh, him back for, for living in the properties and taking care of me. And uh, so that was my first introduction really to real estate and understanding how it worked and investing and fixing and flipping. Uh, by 2004, I was uh, buying my own. Um, I was already had a pretty successful career going in corporate America, but wanted out of the rat race and wanted to create freedom in my life. And really was starting to understand the tax advantages of really real estate and how that helped as well. And so in 2004, started buying houses and holding those houses started a property management company with my dad and obviously my brother-in-law uh, managing hundreds of doors. 
by 2008, I realized I had done something wrong. I had bought real estate at a way too deep of a price um, and it came back to bite me. And I was focused 100% on just cash flow. And uh, when the market started to shift and turn upside down and people started losing their jobs and people can't pay rent, I tried to exit some of these houses, found myself upside down in them. Uh, then they reassessed taxes on us in our area and, and ballooned our payments and really found myself in a real ugly spot in real estate and ended up having to file bankruptcy by 2011. Um, and uh, I tell you, I learned a lot of lessons. Uh, at the time, one of the biggest lessons I thought I'd learned was never to invest in real estate. And I was done. I was not going to do this anymore. I had a very successful career in corporate America from 97 on. Um, I, at this point, I'd worked my way up to a to an executive at, by 2011, uh, had one executive over the year, eight out of 10 years, um, worked for a Fortune 500 company. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do the thing that has made me successful. I'm going to focus on a job. And, uh, and, you know, the Lord was looking at me and he's like, hey, you know, um, I don't think you're going to find security in a job either. So by 2011, I got sick with Lyme's disease, came down with that. Honestly, Jason, I call it my year of Job. I, I lost my savings. I lost my investments. I lost my career and I uh, was very ill, lost my health that year. And I found myself trying to figure it all out. Um, coming out of that year, I got my health back, um, talked to my brother-in-law, Wayne Schaefer again. And he's like, Hey, do you think God took you out of that situation just to put you right back in it? And I said, man, I don't know, but I, I sure could use the income again. And, uh, and my job in corporate America was still available to me. And I could go back to it and winning an executive of the year, many years, like people wanted me back. And so I took a little time and tried working with my brother-in-law to do real estate again. This time it was more an active than passive. And I uh, started wholesaling houses, wanted to get in and get out, right? Didn't want that risk associated with, with uh, holding houses and uh, found, found a niche for me. I actually really enjoyed what we were doing. And uh, the next five years was spent working with my brother-in-law we were wholesaling and we moved into fix and flip and other things like that. But we built a pretty successful real estate company buying and selling in five states with um, north of 30 employees and doing over 300 real estate transactions a year. And so that's kind of the journey through my real estate. And really, honestly, what I say all the time, it was the thing to get me to my thing, which led me to 2000, about 16, uh, people started asking me to help them. And uh, Jason, I was able to mix what I did in corporate America as an executive and building a business to entrepreneurship and uh, helping other entrepreneurs scale and grow their businesses. And obviously my success in real estate led me to coaching other real estate investors, not in the area of real estate, but just in the area of business, how to run a business. And so now we've ventured out and gotten into all different types of niches and, and business models. And we were just talking even on the podcast now about helping entrepreneurs in other countries now. And uh, we got some virtual sessions this week, working with uh, teams in Portugal and Canada and Israel and just a little bit everywhere. It's pretty insane, but I feel very blessed to be on the journey we're on and feel very honored to be able to coach people like you and, and new view and, and work around some amazing people. So it's been a fun journey. Well, I, you know, I love the story, um, you know, and I've, I've gotten over the years, been fortunate to kind of hear it, uh, you know, a little bit more in depth. And I know we're just scratching the surface, but, you know, I think people look and say, you know, man, Gary's got this, you know, booming business. He, he's a real estate investor. 
him and his wife have this, you know, a series of businesses that they run and operate and, and they all seem to be doing incredibly well. Like, man, it's just been this easy road. And, and uh, you know, what they don't look at is, no, I mean, you were, you know, down and out in 2011, literally, figuratively, um, you know, call it rock bottom for lack of better term, you know, everything that, that you thought this story that you had envisioned in your world and mind of the way that your life was going to go was completely stripped and, and you were down to the bare bones saying, what's next? And um, I think that's something that I hope our listeners think through today is, you know, no journey to success is easy. Um, anyone that tells you that is lying. Um, they're all hard and, and trials and tribulations are going to be along the way. And you, you've dealt with so many and um, but here you are. And so let, let's talk a little bit about um, sharper business processes. Obviously, I know a lot about it because we use it. And, uh, you know, um, Gary's here because I, I want everybody to get the insight into accepting that your business, whether you're a solopreneur, whether you've got a thousand employees or anything in between, businesses all need help. And sometimes, you know, we didn't, uh, I personally didn't necessarily know how much value one, you know, business could offer another, but it's been massive for us and, and it's just helped us prioritize things. And so, you know, talk to us a little bit about kind of Gary, you know, entering into that world of being a business coach. And I know you mentioned that people were asking, you know, hey, can you help me? Can you help me? But how did you kind of foray into that? Well, you know, entrepreneurs, if a lot of the entrepreneurs that I run into, they, they don't have formalized training in running a business. I've run into people who've got formalized training, but not so much in like entrepreneurship. And I'm not unlike those people, honestly. You know, I'm a ninth grade school dropout. You know, I dropped out of school in ninth grade and got my GED. And, and honestly, I just worked hard. You know, you say, well, you've got successful. You were becoming an executive. Yeah, you know, I did a lot of reading. I think I still value learning. It's just how I learned. And so I learned from mistakes. I learned from other people. I got mentors and and I did a lot of reading, you know, in my younger years. I still do it all today. But, you know, and then I just worked hard and that hard work paid off and that discipline paid off. And and I got, you know, the opportunities and I capitalized on the opportunities. And and those opportunities led to sometimes just good luck too. you know, played a role being in the right place at the right times. But I'll tell you, you know, coming out of corporate America, and all the training that comes with a corporate America job, I didn't quite understand how to build a business from scratch. You know, I think that's one of the reasons I failed in 2008. You know, I didn't take the same approach as an entrepreneur that you take in a business world. A lot of the foundational things that are in the business world, corporate America world, is already there. It's foundational. It's already been built. Somebody's already laid that foundation. You know, it's just like building a house. You got to start with the foundation first. And if you don't build on a solid foundation, then the house is structurally unsound. A business has to be structurally sound based on a solid foundation. And a lot of what we don't know and a lot of what we have to learn is not, you know, it's, it's simple stuff. It's just not easy, right? Like simple doesn't always equate to easy. And so like it was easy, everybody just go do it, right? Like you need to think about it. You're like, this is simple. Yeah, but it's not easy. And so like trying to find a way to take the knowledge that you gain and you take for granted from a corporate environment and then implement it daily in a tactical way into a business entrepreneurship, somewhat hard. So, you know, as an entrepreneur, you have to find the practical things that lay that foundation. And so, 
if I struggle with this in corporate America, like how many other people are going to struggle with taking that knowledge and add it to entrepreneurship? And sometimes no formal training at all. Some guys get right out of high school, right out of their trade and go straight into entrepreneurship. And so like the foundational part of it um, was what I was lacking through my struggles, through my studies, correlations of past teachings now into entrepreneurship. I feel like I put together a really good journey and entrepreneurship. And, and you know what? There are a lot of great tools out there. Uh, Jason, you've used some of them. Uh, the EOS system, attraction, the scaling up, make big happen, the advantage by Patrick Lencioni. Um, all those things bring a component to an entrepreneur that helps them build an operating system. Um, recently, I've written my own. It's called the Rise Business Framework. I actually just released a book on it and uh, became a bestseller. We were, spent some time in in Tampa on the news. And then in, and actually just last week, we were in uh, Times Square and the books were being featured on the NASDAQ there. But the Rise Business Framework was something that after all the teaching of corporate America, different pieces I've learned from different operating systems, I feel like was a complete package that helped me and uh, build to my 100% or my purpose. And so it's something I have a passion for helping out other entrepreneurs. You know, some of the biggest things I see entrepreneurs struggle with is is getting together taking their vision and actually putting a plan to it right like i think entrepreneurs do a really good job creating strategy you know we call it strategic planning but it's really not it's just strategy the planning part is a separate part right and so being able to carry out that plan and have an operating system that carries out that plan i think is probably the part that we struggle with the most and so giving entrepreneurs that opportunity to create that strategy but then tactically share it into a plan and then getting a team around them to help them carry out that plan is is really where success starts to take traction and get 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 going and so that's what we've been able to do i think at this point we've helped over three thousand entrepreneurs wow. in the last eight years and so it's been fun it's been a lot of fun well that's incredible and you know i i think something that you said that just resonates so well is simple isn't always easy um, you know, and, and I think it's true on both ways, you know, you could slip that, uh, and say it backwards too. Easy isn't always simple. Um, and I think, you know, having, having worked alongside you guys and, and having you come in, I think sometimes, you know, the, the answer was always run under our nose, but you just don't see it. And, you know, when you're, you're running a business, uh, it's easy and it, and size of the business aside, cause I think the smallest of businesses have all the same pains that the biggest businesses have too. Uh, it's a little easier to steer the ship when you're smaller than it is the, the bigger, um, you know, businesses. But at the end of the day, the, the challenges are, are pretty universal. Um, but I, I can't help when you said that thinking, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love, uh, you know, we meet quarterly and, and talks in between. And I love when you point something out or you make a comment, it's like, duh, you know, but um, we would never have that duh moment if there wasn't someone that put it in front of us because we just don't see it. Um, so it, it's been a fun journey. And I think what what people kind of look at and you you hit on and I'll, I'll just touch on this from from our side of the table. You know, what's really cool about the Rise platform is that it is a little bit of everything. You know, it's not a one size fits all. It's a bit of this and a bit of that. And, you know, we're going through some some changes here as we continue to, to grow our business, uh, you know, part of our strategic acquisition into the Inspire family of businesses. And, you know, Within 10 minutes, Gary's got an entire, you know, change management workbook for our leadership team, workbook for me, work, you know, uh, documents for our team, PowerPoint slides. Um, and it, it really is amazing 
some of the things that are in there seem simple. Uh, and yeah, probably uh, is simple, but without that and without that kind of ability to understand it and, and get it kind of spoon fed, you know, we'd probably be fumbling with with something that we're really in great control of now. So, uh, you know, testimony to uh, to kind of Gary and Susan, his wife and, and how you guys do that. Um, let's talk a little bit about that, you know, and, and something that's that I think is, is really cool for those, uh, you know, that don't know Gary's uh, wife, Susan, is actually the the uh, the name Sharper business process is S Harper, which is so cool to me. Um, but Susan, you know, is is along the journey with Gary. Um, you know, we we don't get one without the other, which we love. Um, and so talk to us a little bit about that. You know, I think for a lot of people, entrepreneurs, you know, having their spouse in the business can sometimes be very problematic uh, and challenging. I know when I was a kid, uh, my dad was was self-employed and and the times that that uh, you know my mother worked in the business was not good times right yeah. had yet having been with you guys so long you guys make it look so easy and um yeah talk to us a little bit about that and what what guidance do you have and advice do you have for the for for the folks listening well you know i think entrepreneur in itself is hard enough right like when you add the complexity of family to it can make it even harder I think, first of all, it takes a couple of things in order to have family. And it's not just Susan. We've got Jacob, who's my son, who works on our leadership team. And my daughter, Anne-Marie, who also works on our leadership team. And Derek, my son-in-law, who's a partner in one of our companies. And Sharper's an ecosystem of 14 different businesses right now. And some come and go. Uh, and then Lydia, my, my, my daughter-in-law, is also a part of our Sharper Consulting Company. And, you know, we've got a lot of family. Um, my uh, two of my other partners, Brandon McCurdy and Austin McCurdy, who co-authored the Rise Business Framework with me, are are also family, right? So, like, we've got Betty McCurdy, who's uh, my wife's aunt, and I can go on and on. Like, we have a whole litany of people in our in our business that are family, and some people look at that and go, "Man, never would do that." And honestly, I wouldn't advise it for everybody. So. I wouldn't recommend working with family. It can be very hard to do. It can be definitely something that is hard on a relationship and hard on the business. It's already hard enough to be an entrepreneur. And so when people ask me, and people ask me this question a lot, they're like, would you recommend that I work with family? There's a good side of it. There's a bad side. Of it. The good side of it is there, when you hire people, there's two things you have to work on. You have to work on trust and alignment, right? So you have to trust the people you work with and you have to be aligned with those people. That's what makes people the right people. You know, we talk about that whole cliche statement, Jason, right people, right seats, right? Well, I would not hire a family just to hire family. I would hire family to make sure I, and make sure that I am putting them in the right seat. We measure four things when we put someone in the right seat, the heart, the head, the hands and the feet. So the heart being desire, head being behavior. The hands being skills and the feet being their ability to grow the seat or grow with the seat. That tells me if you're in the right seat. If a family member that I have working with us doesn't pass those assessments, they're not going to work for me. Just being honest. It's not just about hiring my family. If I don't have a seat for them, it's going to be detrimental to our company. So I start there. And if I do, the second reason why I like hiring family is because I typically already align with them in values and vision right so those are the other two things that work well it can be actually really really beneficial to not have to build trust and alignment with somebody because you already have it so mm -hmm. for me it speeds up the process but not everybody is organized and structured enough to be able to evaluate the heart the head and the hands and feet 
And so if you're not structured enough to do that or disciplined enough to hold people accountable to that, then I would steer clear of hiring family. You know, we talk about Susan. Susan is the founder, if you will, of Sharper. It's named after her, Susan Harper. Um, but Susan has been has actually sat in multiple seats in organization. You know, just last year, she vacated a seat in finance because her desire changed for the seat. And as the visionary CEO of the company, I had to bring that to her attention. Listen, sitting in the seat is not in the best interest of our business anymore for you or for the business because your desire for it has changed. And so we started to struggle a little bit with things getting done in that seat. And so we had to move her to somewhere, another place. Now we do other assessments like find your mojo. And I, I learned something about Susan that she loves to learn new things. And that's probably why she excelled in finance. So one of the things I did was I moved to our chief growth officer seat where she's constantly looking at new ways to improve the operations, improve the business and grow the organization. And that requires her to learn and, and, it, and it feeds her, gets her desire going, right? And so like, it is something that you have to be very, very diligent in and intentional with to make sure that you keep the health and healthy relationship. Um, people that aren't willing to engage in healthy conflict really should not hire family. Um, I just had a very tough conversation just with my kids last week, Amory and my son, Jacob, because the, it's 2024 and there's adjustments that need to happen. There's growth that needs to happen in our business. And listen, I'm hot, more than happy to sit down with them and explain to them what we need to do and how we need to grow and then hold them accountable to their growth. Now, if you're not willing to do that, and you don't have to be a jerk. You know, you don't have to be that way. It's done in a very loving way and they're bought into it. And they're bought into our purpose. They're bought into our vision and bought into who we are. Again, they align with us and I can trust them with my values. But as the heart and the head and the hands and feet need to change or the business needs to change there, you got to be willing to have those conversations. So because of that, I would say 95% or higher percent of the businesses out there probably shouldn't hire family. Um, I've probably seen it hurt you know, businesses more hiring family than it has helped them. But if you can be that good leader and you can be the person that uh, that can create accountability without conflict, unhealthy conflict, then maybe you can pull that off. Now, the other thing I would say is this with family, you know, um, you got to shut it off. You know, people don't know how to shut it off. They don't know how to keep family separate from business. And even though we're family and we work together, there's an end point. You know, there's there's times that you just you don't talk business. You don't talk shop. Uh, yesterday was the NFC and the AFC championship. And I went over to my son's house and, you know, a lot of the team members of the company were there because they're family and, you know, we're all enjoying some family time. And I, I won't let business come into that conversation, right? We enjoy time together and we separate it. And I feel like our family's done a really good job with that. Now, here's something that I, I did probably early on with my kids. People are thinking about bringing their kids into business with them. Um, I never segregated business and family um, from the point in, and I told you, like, keep them separate, but I never segregated in how I dismissed my kids from the work life I had. So when I was, my kids were growing up and I was having problems at work, whether it be corporate America or in entrepreneurship, I would bring my son in or my daughter in to the problem and ask for their advice on the solution. So even at 12 years old and eight years old, my kids were 12 and eight, respectfully, I would look at them and go, um, you know, dad had a really hard day at work today. Can I talk to you about it? And 
eight-year-old son looks at me like, sure, dad, you know, and I'm like, so this is dad's problem. What do you think about that? And dad's kind of in a bad mood over that today. You know, what's your perspective on it? What are your thoughts on it? And then I would get the silliest answers, honestly. I would get, you know, maybe you should take my teddy bear to work with you. And <laughs> when, when I have a hard time, you know, this is what I do. And I like the color. And it just, you know, I when when I've had hard days with my my friends, I come home and I'll play video games. Maybe you should, you know, maybe relax your mind, play video games. And, you know, I would get all kinds of answers. But here's the, here's the thing. It's not like I could practically take that back and apply it. But what I could do was I could tell my kids that they weren't the problem. Dad's in a bad mood because this is going on, but that's not your fault, you know? So they never had a disdainment for work. They never had a disdainment for what I was doing. I think it's far too often we have young kids and we don't allow them to understand the ups and downs of business. And, and then we, we paint the picture like they're the problem. You know, we almost get to the point where it's like, don't bother me right now. Dad's not in a good mood, you know, or we take it out on them. We get frustrated. And all it does is create disdainment for what we do. And I think one of the reasons why my kids enjoy still being around us and enjoy working in the business with us and, and Susan as well is because I didn't take it out on them, right? When bad times happen, uh, I more or less made them be a part of the solution versus making them feel like they were the problem. Does that make sense? It, it does. And, you know, there, there's a few things that you said that I think resonate really well. I mean, Going back to, you know, you you mentioned like don't hire family if you can't have those tough discussions and healthy conflict and hold people accountable. And, you know, I'd say that's that's a universal truth, even if they're not family. You know, sure. I think that's something um, that, that is a key takeaway. And it's the hardest part of leadership and, and adding staff and hiring people. And, you know, as you scale your business, you can't scale without great people. Um, you just can't. And the, the challenge that you run into is, yeah, how do you create that trust and all those things that you mentioned? Um, but it does start with being able to have those tough discussions and they're really hard. And so I commend you for being able to not only have those tough discussions, but have them with family members, too, because that, that's a whole nother uh, level of hard that that gets into. And, and then the latter part, I, I, I love you know, what you said and about bringing kids into the fold. And, um, you know, I listened to a, a podcast um, and and uh, one of the things they talked about was today and, and kind of piggybacking off this generationally is that, you know, we're not as intentional with our kids and we should be more intentional, which sounds silly, right? Sounds simple and easy. But one of the examples he gave is that, you know, when when he was growing up and, and he's a, a middle aged you know gentleman, but when he was growing up, he understood that bills got paid because he saw his parents sit down with a checkbook. He understand that his dad read the Bible because he saw him every morning with his nose in the book. He knew that his dad had a thirst for learning because he had the newspaper you know open. And so he used these examples. And then he said, like, fast forward to today. He said, I do all that on my cell phone. My kids don't see it. They don't know if I'm reading the book or scrolling through social media. They don't know if I'm paying bills or playing Candy Crush. Like, and so, you know, when you hear that, and I, I, I couldn't help but think of that as you were kind of talking about your bringing your kids into the fold, you found a way to be intentional and give your kids insight into something that isn't obvious on their own. You made it obvious. And, you know, in our household, my wife and I have been talking about that, like, Hey, should we sit down and we do have, you know, kind of some regular discussions like should our kids be part of this? You know, should they be part of those discussions? Because they don't really understand what paying bills looks like. They don't really understand what our thirst for knowledge is or 
or you know what we're reading spiritually. So um, I, I draw that parallel, and hopefully the listeners can benefit from that as well, because I think what you did is so far out in front, um, and I've never done that in my household, and that's certainly a takeaway. Um, you know, I, I know if I come home after a bad day of work, um, I'm not intentional in making sure that my kids understand the origin of that. And, um, you know, I, I only chuckle because uh, I can only imagine my kids are 12 and four. Um, I can only imagine the stuff that I would get uh, in response. So uh, I, I always love having great people on this show because I get just as much out of it. So there's my couple of nuggets that I'm taking away with me. Um, Gary, let, let's let's uh, take a quick pause. I want to jump back in and talk a little bit about the Rise book and talk a little bit about what you're doing and maybe some tips and tricks for some of our listeners today. Um, but we're not going to let you off without getting on the, uh, on the hot seat for the quirky questions of the day. So Amy has got those. I'm going with envelope number one. All right, Gary, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's go. And, and speaking of having kids in the house, I, uh, I, I came to this realization this morning that once you have kids, you never have a regular Band-Aid in your house again. So I, I had a cut on my finger and I'm wearing a Buzz Lightyear Band-Aid today. Perfect. So, you know, Jason, let me let me add this as we conclude that last conversation. And you ask these questions. A couple things I did with the kids. One is I made it sure that we had a date night every week. Uh, and on that, as the kids got older and over the age of 12, I started incorporating planning with them. I started incorporating vision building with them. And so just yesterday at my son's house, I saw our Rise Business Framework curriculum sitting on the counter and it had goals written down. And it was him and his wife sitting down and writing out their goals using our Rise. And so this is something that's become staple in their lives now because I incorporated it early. The other thing that I always did with our kids was I paid them to read. And so I think that's something that listeners could, I feel like was beneficial. I always paid our kids to read business books or self-help books. Uh, from the age of 12 on, and they got a, they got $40 for every book they read uh, and they could write a one page on. So just a little couple of thoughts there that I had uh, that I want to incorporate into this conversation as people are listening. And uh, and I will tell you, I didn't do everything right as a dad, but uh, they they succeeded in spite of me. And I always told Susan and I told people around me, you know, I will measure the success I had as a dad when the kids are grown and they want to be around me when they no longer have to be around me. And so the fact that they like being around us still, still, you know, I think is a testimonial to how we did as, you know, as parents raising them. So just a couple other things there before we jump into these fun questions. I just kind of wanted to share with the audience there a couple of things that I felt were, you know, huge attributes to why my kids are where they are. Well, I love that. And ironically enough, my wife and I have our date night tonight to recap our month. And we that's something we've been more intentional about. And we do use a framework every year to look at some goals. And, you know, we could be better at it, but but progress over perfection. Right. Um, but our we're meeting tonight. And, and I, I, I promise you when I say getting our oldest to start reading business books and paying him to do it will absolutely be um, on the list. So um, we we're unique in that I tell my we actually pay my son by the hour to do chores. And, you know, wow. it's really been helpful is, hey, if you want something and it's 20 bucks, you know, you get five bucks an hour. And, you know, if you do a great job, maybe you'll get paid six bucks. And if you do a bad job and I, we have demoted him and increased his pay at times. And, and we're trying to instill some of those lessons of you got to work for what you want. And, and we're happy to help you get there. And, and uh, but you got to understand if you if you half ass it. 
you know, you're going to get fired and we'll fire you from these yeah. tasks too. I don't need, I can pull the weeds myself. Right. So, yeah. um, but I love the book one. You know, there is a statement that I think people should ask themselves a question around. It was an executive that once said, if I ran my family, no, if I ran my business the way I do my family, I'd be bankrupt. Yeah. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. So anyway, it's a great thought. It's a great thought. Yeah. Love it. Well, awesome. Well, perf perfectly timed feedback and, and glad that we got to, to take that thread a little bit longer. Thank you, Gary. Awesome. Um, all right. Three quick questions, quirky questions of the day. Remember, uh, if you guys have questions, you can send them to the All About Alts podcast at allaboutalts at newviewtrust.com uh, and we'll get those added on. Question number one, if you can be a contestant on any game show, what one would you choose? The Voice. I guess, is that a game show? I don't know. I mean, I... I... But I, you know, I can't sing worth a lick. So I mean, if I could choose, I'd go on something that I could, you know, I could, I could challenge myself with, right? Um, you know, or that, you know, there was a game show one time. I don't remember the name of it, but Howie Mandel was, the, you know, the the person that was in charge of it. But it was like opening cases, you know. Yeah, you the, uh, deal or no deal. There it was. It was deal or no deal. I don't know. I kind of like those two things. I like. I like things that are just fun and risk. And then I like things that challenge me to push harder. So those would be the two different TV shows I'd like to get on. Well, we do have an upcoming quarterly uh, all day session coming. So maybe we can weave in a uh, some rehearsals for The Voice while we're while we're there. Um, question number two, ice cream in a cup or a cone? Uh, definitely a cone. Like you got to try the creativity of different cones. I like there's so many different cones out there. So like cups are just boring. All right. We're going cone. I like it. Question number three. If you had any animal you could choose as your sidekick, what animal would it be? A llama. Okay. Yeah. I, I can't just let that one go without a why. Because they spit, man. Like I'm, I'm going <laughs> to. I'll just turn them on anybody that treats me bad and just let them spit at them. Right. Like, cause I can't, I, my biggest fear in the world is people pleaser. Right. So I have to have a sidekick that's willing to spit. I love it. I, uh, speaking of, you know, not only will, will we incorporate the voice into our quarterly, I can't wait to show up with a, a llama. And every time we, you know, we, we violate the boundaries of the, uh, our quarterly session, the llama just spits on us accordingly. So maybe you're onto something. And who says llama, right? Everybody always says like a something, you know, but why, why not? Why not a llama? I love it. Well, it, it, it speaks to your uniqueness and creativity. And, and I mean, both of those in, in a loving and respectful way, because I think they're, they're great attributes that you have. So let, let's, let's kind of wind down here and, and talk a little bit about business, right? We've, we've talked about, you know, I think just some, some sidecars to it and some, some entries back into it, but let's talk a little bit about it. Um, let's start with, you know, just for our listeners, right. And, and our listeners span, uh, the spectrum. So there's no one size fits all, but if you were to just spit out, you know, from kind of the, the, the rise book and the rise framework and business framework, what, what would be some of the things that our listeners can kind of ask themselves, challenge themselves, review what's that, uh, you know, I don't know, we'll call it maybe the top five things that they should be thinking about. Um, in their business as they start looking at 2024? Well, I mean, I, there, there's four reasons why people don't grow. And the number one reason is fear, right? And so the Rise Business Framework is a book, 66,000 words, that that helps you replace fear with knowledge. So like the fear of entrepreneurship 
And the reason why we don't grow, we stop on our tracks is just we have fear. We don't have, we don't have the knowledge to move forward. And so I always find that that knowledge replaces fear. And then we sustain it with faith. Number two is mindset, right? So uh, part of the rise business framework is helping to adjust your mindset. So many entrepreneurs have the mindset of it's all about me. It's all on me. I'm the only one that could do this. And a lot of times they're very good at a lot of different things that happen in their business. But in order to build a business, you have to let go. And the business, when you don't let go, will only grow to your 100%. It'll never grow to its potential. And so that's the number two. Number three is connections. You know, and the right business system will allow you to open up your, your mind to making the right connections and finding the right people in your organization. You know, a great book written out there called Who, Not How. And so connections is more than just getting to meet somebody like you, Jason, and New View but hiring the right connections, bringing the right people into your organization. And then last, systems and processes. You know, we all have to have a good operating system to run our business on. And so the Rise Business Framework is that. It's a business operating system that takes you all the way from resources, inspiration, systems, and engagement. And that's what Rise stands for, resource, inspiration, systems, and engagement. Uh, Harvard Business Review wrote a, a thing about business, and it talked about the five phases of business. And it said that the fifth phase is reaching your 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 maturity, your business maturity, or or what I like to refer to as a business is hundred percent. And so these four quadrants are the bridges from those each one of those phases. So when you whether you're in startup or you're in phase two, phase three, phase four, getting into phase five, you have to bridge from phase to phase. And so resources, which is the first quadrant is the area in which we come out of the bridge of startup. We have to hire the right people. We have to, and I always tell people that when you start a business, you have to predetermine time, money, and people. And that's what the resource quadrant is about. That's what resources are for a business, time, money, and people. What are you doing with your time? How do you spend your time? Are you maximizing your time? And what should you be delegating you know, to other people to save you time? Next, what money do you need to have and what money do you need to make and what should you be spending? And that's important as well. And then also uh, the people. What are those people that you're going to hire? What do they look like? Where seats are you putting them in? And so we systematically start with outline, outlining the organizational structure of the organization. And then we, we look at the heart, head, hands, and feet for each one of the seats in the organization. And what does the heart need to be? What does the behavior need to be? What does the skills need to be? And are we looking for somebody that can grow the seat? Or are we looking for somebody that can sustain the scene? What mobility are we looking for here? And so that's what we do. And then we systematically work through that. And then it also includes in resources, how to find those people, how to hire those people. What are they looking for in your company? What emotional paychecks are they looking for? And then a business performa that creates a budget that generates PLs and then creates variance reports to make sure that we understand the money aspect of how much we need to spend, how much we need to make. And probably more importantly, when do we hire? Now that we know who we need to hire, when can we afford to bring them on? So time, money, and people is a resource. Inspiration is about how do we inspire those resources, right? You know, we got to have culture. You know, we got to hire the right people, not just put them in the right seat. We got to hire them with the core values. We got to know our vision. The Bible says, Jason, where there's no vision, the people perish. And so we have to have proper vision or we're going to 
expire the people that are trying to work for us. They're going to go find someone else that'll lead them properly. So we have to have good long-term vision and short-term vision and good culture that come together to inspire. And then once we have that and we're inspiring those people, then we have to build the right systems. We have to let go without losing control to those people. And that includes having the right processes, the right procedures, the right policies in place that drive productivity. And so what is process? Process is what we do. Procedures are how we do it. Policy is when we do it, when we expect it to be done. And getting the right people in the right seats at the right time, making the right amount of money allows us to drive productivity and let go. And I think it's so critical. The system phase is about productivity, leaning out the processes, making sure we have the right people, the right seats and all those things, the right meeting structure, the right KPI structure to make sure that we're measuring things. And and Jason, I find that there are four critical types of KPIs in the systems quadrant. One is what is your purpose indicator? How are we measuring that we're hitting our purpose? Number two, what are your profit indicators? How are we measuring the right, that we're making the right profits? Then number three, what are your performance indicators? What, how many widgets are we producing in order to make profits hit purpose? And then last, probably the most critical and one of the reasons why our Rise Business Framework is a, is a diamond shape, which I've got on the, on the, on the wall behind me here, is because it represents the process indicator. Because in a process map, that diamond indicates whether or not the process is working or not working. And so if we do this right in our systems quadrant, we build down from purpose with that number and we build down to profits and then we build down to performance and then we build down to process. And then that process indicator is measured every single day. And if we do that right, what are we doing? We're protecting the performance. We're protecting the profits and we're protecting ultimately our purpose by doing the daily tactical activities and protecting the process that gets us the results. And so that helps us drive productivity. And, and why is that important? Because before we go to the e right, really going into stage four and stage five of business, we have to make sure that we have dialed in the business to be productive. Because now the next thing is engagement. And engagement allows us to expand the right way. It allows us to create a brand and marketing, our marketing message, and, and 10x our sales and really expand the business properly. And we don't want to 10x an, an unproductive business. You don't want to 10x a business that doesn't really have short-term vision. You don't want to 10x a business that doesn't have the right resources in place. Honestly, Jason, I find a lot of times that entrepreneurs they go the opposite direction here. They start with a product and a passion. And that product and a passion, because it might be a good product, people go straight to engagement. They go to expansion and they try to reach more people with that product. And what happens is they go, oh, man, this is exciting that we're going to make money. And then they're like, oh, our systems are broke. Oh, we better fix that. And then they go into, man, we got to get better goals here. Like, what are we trying to do? Why are we even doing this? I, I feel stuck. Like, why am I feel stuck all the time? Am I trying to achieve this for purpose? Because I'm making money, but it doesn't feel good. And then they're like, man, maybe it doesn't feel good because I keep hiring the wrong people. Right. And they go the opposite direction. And you've heard the statement before, right? They grew too fast. But honestly, it's not a, it's not a real thing. There's no such thing as growing too fast. It's yeah. growing wrong is what well, we've been on the other side of that, Gary, you know, and, and, uh, I always joke, I, I wish, I wish we met Gary and Susan and, uh, and started using them from day one. Um, not because we didn't get it right, but just, we learned a lot of lessons by stubbing our toe and, you know, I think you nailed it, which is, 
you know, growing too fast is a cop out for not being prepared for growth because there's businesses that are growing 10 times faster than whatever your wildest growth number is in your mind. And they're doing it the right way. And, and it's because they have that foundation, right? Those pillars for success. Um, and and I can tell you, you know, we've been through that um, as a business and we've grown in, in our 20 years and we've grown every year. Um, and sometimes you can get away with with growth because the pain doesn't feel that bad. And, you know, we joke, um, you know, what here internally, I said it at our, our staff meeting earlier today, you know, what works for a thousand customers, you realize doesn't work at two or maybe it works at two and it do, it stops working at six. Right. Okay. Every process, if it's not built right, will fail at some point. Uh, and so we we've been through that and, and cleaning it up is a lot harder than doing it right from the get go. So. You know, I couldn't encourage people more on the resource side, you know, as, as you're sitting down, A, uh, get the book, um, uh, you know, get the Rise book. That That's not a shameless plug. Uh, that's just the reality. You, you need a guide. Um, and if you, you don't have the resources to go hire someone, start with the book and, and start making some, you know, just small level tactical decisions. If you can afford, you know, if you can invest in the consultancy side of it, do it. Um, you know, we, we for us, it's been a game changer. Um, but I think for for it would have been an even much more of a game changer 20 years ago, not to. Uh, so just some some feedback there. Um, Gary, absolutely love what you guys are doing. Um, love the the framework. I appreciate you kind of walking us through the rise. And, you know, I, I can't help every time I, I hear more of this story or from a different lens that I just I love how everything ties back together. The diamond. Right. The rise actually is an acronym and and also has some. Uh, spiritual background to it. And so there's just so much going on there. Uh, I wish we had more time in the show to walk through it all. But uh, I will point out, uh, Gary is one of our speakers at our AltsCon event um, coming up in October. So uh, if you go to altscon.com, uh, you'll see the uh, the information there, but we'd love to have you come and, and join us. And, and we've got 10 or 12 other speakers. Um, but Gary's going to be talking about, you know, like scaling your business, digging in, uh, you know, we scratched the surface today, but but really digging in uh, a lot deeper in some of the the topics that we covered. So, um, Gary, before we let you completely off the hook, uh, one of the things, uh, you know, we ended season one, uh, you know, every show with our learn before you burn segment. And we've shifted in season two to what keeps you up at night. And, and it's something that I want to start paying a little more mind to and helping our listeners really ask themselves. Cause I think we all think that, well, you know, Gary's got this successful business. Here he is. You know, he talks so intelligently about how to do everything. And gosh, he's got it all figured out. I guarantee you, you know, there's stuff that keeps you up at night. So, Gary, let's let's go there and we'll close it out. What uh, what keeps you up at night? I think two of my biggest things that keep me up at night. One is letting others down. Right. That's probably the biggest thing I spoke on earlier. People pleaser is definitely a fear I have of making sure that people are pleased in my life. And just the thought of letting people down, you know, um, and things and actions, you know, as entrepreneurs, we push really hard. And so sometimes when we're pushing so hard, we forget about who we're pulling with us sometimes. And and sometimes that pull and that push can be something that, you know, pushes over somebody or or hurt somebody in a way. And so being careful of that. The other thing, too, that keeps me up at night is I am all about my purpose and achieving my purpose. And so I say this a lot. Don't get so busy chasing your purpose. You never fulfill it. You know, and so that's something that when I lay awake at night, it's because I've been chasing my purpose and not fulfilling my purpose. And so that's something that, man, I tell you, um, you know, 
It's powerful to have a purpose. It's even more powerful when you're disciplined enough to achieve it. I love that. And I'm going to, I'm going to tell a quick story um, because I, uh, this, this, I think speaks to both of those things and it speaks to who, who Gary is and, and Susan as well. Um, and, and I hope it's okay if I share this story, but when we first engaged, you know, with, um, with Sharper a couple of years ago, they were referred, um, you know, by someone that we know and trust and, and, uh, um, that said, hey, you got to talk to these guys. You know, you, you're. We were using the traction platform, and we needed to graduate out of it. It just was too wasn't fulfilling our needs. We had kind of grown past the the borders of it. Um, but our very first on-site meeting, um, one of the the team members on Gary's team came down and and flew in. Uh, they had a baby that was about to be born. There was a lot going on. The the prep work on all sides, us included, hadn't been done. And so we kind of like thirty minutes into the meeting, we're like. I don't think we're on the same page here. And, and it was just as much on us and as it was on, on Gary's side. But long story short, um, they stepped out, called Gary, come in with their phone and say, can you talk to Gary? Gary and Susan happened to be in Orlando by happenstance. They dropped what they were doing and they were at our offsite in an hour. Um, and you know, it, it's amazing because that could have been like, this relationship's over. This okay. doesn't make sense. It, we, for us, we felt like they weren't prepared. They felt like we weren't prepared. But in all of that healthy conflict, right, healthy discussion, uh, Gary and Susan, you know, they, they, they're such people pleasers, but they believe so hard in their purpose that they drop what they were doing to show up. And so I, I love that story because we have such an amazing relationship and friendship, you know, that we've built since then. Um, but it didn't start well for either of us. Um, yet here we are. So uh, I, I, I wasn't, uh, quite sure how or where to interject that, but, uh, I felt like it was a good time and, and hopefully it's okay. I shared that. That's hundred percent, you know, cause here's the reason it is our purpose. Our purpose is to do a good work that supports God's work. And we don't measure the quality or quantity of work we do. We measure the quality of work we do. And so at any point we feel like we're not measured up to the quality of work that we're able to perform then we have to in inject, right? So definitely some one of those things like that definitely gets us uh, up at night is making sure that we fulfill that purpose. So Jason, I appreciate it. I appreciate your friendship. Honestly, um, it's been rewarding on both sides for me, um, for Susan as well. Uh, we don't choose to work with every team. We can't, we don't have that ability, capability time-wise, but working with your team, working side-by-side -side with you and, and, your, and, and the leaders on your team has been truly, truly inspirational. I really, really impressed by who you are as a person, um, your love for your team, your love for your family, and honestly, your love for God. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of the journey so far and on this great podcast. Thank you, Gary. I appreciate the kind words and and uh, right back at you. Well, we'll we'll see you here uh, at, at at our own meetings uh, in between them, but but can't wait to see you on the stage at AltCon. Uh, so thanks everybody for tuning in. Remember, push the like, share, subscribe button. If you haven't left us a review, please do so. Uh, help our listeners understand what this show is all about. But we appreciate you being with us. Thanks again, Gary, for being here. And we'll talk to you guys later. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for listening. We hope the information within this podcast has given you the tools that you need to find your way to financial independence. We would love to partner with you on this journey. Text ALTS, that's A-L-T-S, to 407-708-1853 to learn more about how to get started today. 
Don't forget to follow us to make sure you don't miss a second of content. And we'll see you next week. 